105.3. The home of SAFM in Uppington. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Now, the Pan-African, Pan-Africa International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans and Intersex Association, which is known as PI, is a federation of organizations in Africa working to improve human rights based on sexual orientation and gender identity expression. Joining me in our Johannesburg studio is Khalid Bidak and um, Jessica Gameda. Both of you, welcome and thank you for joining us. Oh, I, I'm not hearing them. I'm not hearing them at all. Thank you very much for having us. Oh, there you are. There you are. I need, I need some volume. And if, if I all come closer okay. to your mics, please. She needs to be loud. Yes. Khulud? Um, yes. Am I pronouncing it pro- correctly? Yes, you are. It is fantastic. Lovely having you in South Africa. And Jessica, hello. Hi. Hi. I'm good, thank you. And you? Very well, thank you. Now, Khunud, if you I start with you as our guest from a different part of our continent, true. can you frame the the? Uh, this is your third uh, conference. That's true. And I'd like to hear what was resolved in your past conference. Sure. So. Um First of all, I would just want to make a little bit of correction that the conference is not going to start on Friday 22nd. Ah. It's the website uh, for the conference that is going to be launched on Friday 22nd. <coughs> when does the conference begin? Uh, the conference will be held in May. Ah. And we still, I mean, working on it. I mean, once we get, the, once we launch the website for the conference, all the needed data that everybody would need to know would be on the website. Okay. Uh, so back to your question is that, um, uh, so basically, uh, Pan Africa ILGA uh, is uh, was established in 2007, mm-hmm. and it is the African chapter of ILGA World, uh, which is uh, as you introduced in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we are looking forward, what we've been achieving in, uh, before, and we were, what we are list- still looking forward is that. Uh, uh, getting the African continent together around the SOGI rights, which is sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so w- w- where where do you stand in in Egypt as far as the rights of of uh, uh, of LGBTI are concerned? Yes. Uh, may I may I first ask you to just uh, uh, increase a little bit the volume because your your voice is far away. I, I, can't I, I know we having we we. I, I'm trying to speak to my yeah. technical producer yeah. here so that we can, because I'm also. Yeah. Okay. Maybe can you can you sit back from your microphone a bit? Okay. All right. And can you hear me better now? No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We're not going to do this until you can hear me better. Um, Jessica, can you hear me at all? Um, vaguely. Vaguely. Sound very distant. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay, um, but but you 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 getting but my words yeah, at the we, moment. We can make out what you're saying. Yes. All right. While we get while we getting uh, Khalid to to hear me better, maybe I must ask you to frame uh, South Africa's uh, challenges at the moment as far as LGBTI rights are concerned. Um, okay. Like you mentioned, I'm from Iranti Org, and we are a lesbian and transgender visual media organization. We're mm-hmm. based in Joburg. And we use media as an advocacy tool to highlight and raise awareness, um, to raise awareness on issues of sexual orientation and gender identity. Mm-hmm. And so the major issues that we are currently facing and that many LGBTI organizations are working around are around schools. 
Mm-hmm. So we are finding that more and more lesbian learners in schools are being troubled by either their teachers or their principals or fellow learners around school uniforms and also just around who they are as, as, as people. Mm-hmm. But recently we've also had um, murder cases. Um, yes. There was a case in the media recently in the Val of mm-hmm. Matiriso who was married, but there are also many other cases that d- are not making it to mainstream media. So we have two rape cases in the Val that we are documenting, for example, and there was a trans woman who was married in December in the Western Cape. Mm-hmm. We have uniform cases in the Northwest um, mainly, and also you find in rural areas a lot, issues in schools are around uniform, and those are the issues that as Iran to Og we are trying to bring to the forefront. When you say around uniform, is, is it because uh, uh, students are not being allowed to what? To wear what they want? Yes. Um, the school policy actually is very binary. So boys will wear pants and girls have to wear um, school skirts. Mm. And so if um, a girl comes to school and she's actually wearing pants, it's, 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 it's an issue within the school. You know, teachers try, like they do complain and say, but why is the student wearing this? But you'll find that somebody is feeling comfortable in whatever it is that they are wearing. Mm. So um, issues around school really is around uniform. So it's, it's yeah, and that's it, what and we have to deal with. Which then boils down to expression, really. Yes, it, it does boil down to expression because um, freedom of expression for learners is actually being, um, you know, that, that's what's being messed around with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, I, and I'm wondering if Philip can hear me better now. Yes, yes. Okay. And your main issues coming from your country, um, are they very similar to South Africa's issues? Well, it's not very similar. Uh, I mean, um, things is, uh, are a little bit different back home nowadays because, you know, we are uh, we are having this militant uh, ruling by HCC and uh, a very strong crackdown on gay men and transgendered women uh, all over the country. And recently as well, there's, uh, there are all these random arrests because of the anniversary of the 25th of January. So the government started from December just shutting off all uh, <coughs> cultural centers or coffee shops or places that are uh, available for those who are different or LGBTIQs mm-hmm. or uh, etc. And in the last three days, uh, they have been around all the countries, around uh, all the flats and buildings around uh, the, the Ministry of Interior Affairs in downtown, which is a few minutes from El Tahrir Square, mm-hmm. and just checking the flats and the laptops and t- telephones and uh, etc. So it is that that's mad for everyone nowadays, mm-hmm. and of course specifically for uh, LGBTIQ individuals and groups. <coughs> and we've, we've got sporadic events happening around the continent, in fact, because Africa is, is you know, the, I, I know that last year I read an article by Jane Tirikwa, who's from the Human Rights Commission, who w- was talking about, um, uh, you know, uh, she, she's talking about influence that comes from people who pretend to be uh, uh, spreading religious messages through um, communities instead they are they are actually preaching anti 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 messages mm. of the LGBTIQs mm. have you had that experience as well well uh 
I don't know if you have uh, that background or not, but in 2013 it was the Muslim Brotherhood back home that they were ruling the country and all these um, religious ideas and specifically uh, Islamic ideas because uh, this is the majority back in Egypt, uh, they were controlling everyone and, and almost all other institutions back home and then uh, the coup happened and it was the military and things got a little bit less in terms of uh, religion uh, but uh, again this is from a country from a state perspective yet uh, when we're speaking about the, 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 the society we are still very much uh, ruled and controlled by religious reviews and moral reviews and this is what uh, almost everyone uses to just decriminalize uh, Sogi in general or uh, any sort even of, of, of expression or, or freedom or justice, etc. Mm. I'm asking both of you if, if, if the movement, the LGBTIQ movement, sh- should include, you know, so sh- should become a social justice movement to include issues of race, class, and xenophobia as well, so that you're not isolated. Uh, I may I I I I have a very strong belief, and I I I I know that it's not only me; it's a lot of us who are working on such movement about the intersectionalities uh, of uh, the the rights and the the, the uh, can I call it the privilege system. Mm-hmm. So of course, your 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 gender, your gender expression, your your class, your skin color, your mm-hmm. uh, I mean, and 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 so on. All these small um, elements. They, they just come together to create that one big puzzle about who are we and what are the rights we are looking for mm-hmm. and how can we get there and how can we m- move forward as a movement, um, as individuals or groups uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Be- be- because I, I think it would, you know, there's, there's, the numbers will obviously grow and, you know, there's, there's power in numbers. Uh, so as opposed to just you fighting your own uh, LGBTQ, uh, LGBTQ yes, <laughs> yes. movement, then, you know, the, there's a bigger issue so that rights can come together for yes. all of us. Yeah. But I think also the reality is we're not exactly fighting in isolation, although we, you know, we, we do have a particular struggle that we're focusing on. So, for example, in... Um, the issues that we deal with within within South Africa, we always work with the South African Council of Churches to see how we bring them in as allies. So definitely we do have um, strategies around how can we bring in allies and join the thoughts of our struggles, but also still, you know, staying true to what it is that we, we, we have to fight for. Um, I mean, with the Pan-Africa ILGA conference that's coming up, it is open mainly to LGBTI organizations from throughout the continent, mm-hmm. but there's also place for allies to come in so that we can have conversations and say, you know, how do we, how do we move forward? Because, you know, when you started talking about schools and you started talking about the killings that are happening, I think there the needs to be a conversation that addresses those, but at grassroots levels, because that's where, and you spoke about rural areas as well. How do we bring that conversation about so it, does, it doesn't stay at your conference and move only within your, your organizations, but really permeates and, and, and gets all of us talking to each other? 
You know, that's, it's very interesting that you say that because what we do as Iranti Org is we work with community-based organizations that, yes, some of them organize around LGBTI issues, but some of them really organize around services within their own communities. And so to be able to reach out to communities, we use those CBOs and we build their capacities to can do media around the work that they do because we are a media organization. Mm-hmm. But we also partner with other organizations that, that uh, offer other services, you know, to go into those grassroots organizations and actually address issues. So our strategy really is around building capacities of organizations that work on the ground. And so even though we're having these conversations um, in conferences that we hold in Joburg and it's, it's with, you know, activists from all over the continent, mm-hmm. we also still have, um, a reach um, within within our grounds. Okay, Jessica Kamed and Hulud Bidak are my guests, and we're going to take a little break now and come back to talk about the upcoming launch of the Pan Africa International Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Trans, and Intersex Associations Conference. Sure. Join us this Thursday on Top Filling as we return to the homes you never wanted to leave. From the most eco-inspiring garden of a house to a golden tribute to the best of the good life. Two American entrepreneurs could settle anywhere, but only have eyes for half pay. And if you need a designer, your pharmacist might be the answer. Catch Top Billing this Thursday night at 7.30. Repeat Sunday at 12.30. Find it on 3. With the Soweto Derby hitting up, the tension is rising. Who will walk away the victor? Watch the big game everybody is waiting for on the 30th of January on SABC1 at half past three. Brought to you by SABC Sport in partnership with the TV licenses. SABC Sport for the love of the game. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala putting the ladies in the limelight. Putting the ladies in the limelight. Khulud and Jessica are in our Johannesburg studios, and I'm, I'm battling with the Pan African Internet. I love that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Pie, I think uh, I should call it. Yeah. And, and all of us will, will understand it. What, what are the policy needs? Um, uh, especially for LGBT families uh, that that you can you know share with us uh, because I think that's that's where we need to go as well and and, and change existing policies. Any one of you? Um, uh, as as far as I understand, you're speaking about how socially we can understand the perception of an LGBTIQ individuals uh, and family and family. Mm-hmm. Um, I. I I know that uh, one thing to start is educating ourselves as a community, as a society, about these matters. Um, I believe as well that uh, sex education from early ages and uh, having it organized uh, within the the institutions, either schools or religious institutions, or or using the media to to speak about m- such matters, uh, make things way easier because uh, we get to know how uh, what does that mean instead of uh, having a very wrong concept about it for long long time and then uh, need to correct such okay so sex education which is already happening by the way you know at schools um, and I'm just wondering if we we're sending the right message Jessica are we are we communicating the right thing and do we leave it to the internet to teach us about these things or 
again, do we have more open discussions, especially between young people who are finding themselves and their own families who may have um, serious cultural issues? Yeah, I think um, conversations need to really begin with us taking um, a messaging home. So um, it really has to start with also individuals, you know, within families, because the reality is, um, you'll, you'll remember that South Africa, I'm going to talk with our, in, within our own context, mm-hmm. that we are the, f- the fourth country to open marriage to same-sex couples, you know, following Netherlands, Spain, and Canada. But um, the, the reality is we have the law, but the lived realities are so different. And so we need to, as individuals, you know, educate our own children within our own homes. I think also just to, to interlink struggles, uh, issues of racism that have been in the media recently, mm-hmm. really those are conversations that happened at um, dinner tables. Yes. They just happen to slip out with certain individuals. And so it becomes important that as a family unit, we, we talk to each other about these issues and we talk to our children. So really, I, need, I think we need to embark on campaigns that speak to families and how we have conversation within homes because the the society that we talk about comes from particular homes and that's where conversations need to begin. You know, what do you say to your children around the dinner table? Yeah, but the other thing, and I go back again to, to, to the race thing because all these all these categories in society that we have, you know, gender, race, ethnicity, language, etc., um, maybe those should be collapsed because we must be seen as human beings first. Um, and, 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 and this is why we have all the issues that we have because the more different you are, uh, if you fall outside the box, then there's an issue, there's a problem, then you're castigated by society. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, um, looking to looking to who we are as human beings to start with and uh, being aware of how to empower those who are falling in the back on the on the on the on the, on the base of the of the uh, privilege pyramid or the hierarchy pyramid i think it's a must that uh, we should start working on but I think it's also a question of how we do the collapsing, um, mm-hmm. because you know uh, there, there are different struggles. We we have just within civil society, we have organisations that work on just issues of gender, issues of race, issues of ethnicity. But even amongst those, there is that level of discrimination, and so mm-hmm. it's about mm-hmm. how do we break those barriers first mm-hmm. um, before we join and connect the dots of our struggles. You know, so there there is quite a lot of work that still needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Do we see a light at the end of the tunnel soon? Um, We have to live in hope Because, you know, otherwise why do we do the work that we do Mm. Um, But, yes, I think there have been some cases that we can point to that are are positive So, for example, um, right now in Botswana, Le Khabib was in court Le Khabib was the lesbian gay um, of Botswana Mm -hmm. And they were in court and um, fighting for registration as an organization and there was a court ruling that, um, you know, the state should allow the organization to register. Mm. Uh, But then the state then turned back and said and appealed that and said, Mm. you know, um, this is not right. And they they, they've appealed it and they were in court just, I think, yesterday or two two days ago. Mm. So although we are making some strides in some areas, um, the reality is there is always that backlash that we have to fight against. 
Now, you know about the Botswana story that you've just told. I, I didn't know about it. So, you know, we, 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 we can't even measure those successes. Mm. Is there a common um, space where, and I know you work you, in the media mainly, mm-hmm. uh, but where we can see these successes and, and celebrate them and talk about them and, 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 and support them, you know? Um, so whatever new laws are passed or new new breakthroughs are made, you know, so that we as, 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 as uh, a, not only a country, as a continent can, can, can go behind you. You know, with social media as well, there's a lot of support that can come out of there if we knew the issues. Yeah, and I think it brings us back to the role of mainstream re- media um, and, and its involvement, really, mm-hmm. um, because oftentimes people pick up um, stories, issues um, in the media and how they are being portrayed and highlighted. And um, I think mainstream media needs to, uh, collectively, we need to find a way of working together. So, for example, we are Iranti Org, and we have all these stories that we have put out. They are on our social media. We put them out on our website. And, yes, we are working around how do we increase our reach as an organization that documents um, all these stories. Mm-hmm. But I think if, if there could be a way of mainstream media kind of finding a way of working with civil society to bring these stories to the front, because oftentimes... The stories that are in mainstream media are those stories that are gruesome, that are of murder, that are, you know, this mm. case in the vow mm. is the one that caught attention, you know, mm. but um, the ones that we need to celebrate are not being highlighted by the media. So I think it's also a conversation around how do we work with our mainstream media. Okay. So tell us about the website, Khulud, uh, and, and, and what we can expect. Um, in, in the time being, uh, Pan Africa Ilga uh, already have a, uh, a working website, which is www.panafricailga.org, uh, www.panafricailga.org mm-hmm. and um, it is there. It has uh, the work we've been doing, and on uh, on Jan 22nd, which is Friday, we'll be launching the conference website that will be having uh, details about the conference and the application and the abstract and etc. I really recommend that everybody go, I mean, those who are interested, go and visit uh, the Pan-Africa Elga website and uh, have a look and learn or um, maybe maybe if they have participate. ideas. Participate. Participate. Exactly. Be active. Yes, be yes. active about it because it is needed by all of us and for this uh, continent so very much. Well, Khulud, thank you so much for joining us. And Jessica, all the best. I'm sure this is the first of many conversations we're going to have, especially when the conference happens. Thank you. So thank you for coming into our studios. Great. Thank you for having us. You take care now. Thank you. It's time for news headlines with Utsi Lesako. Thanks, Shadow. Good afternoon. U.S.-born performer Yassine Bey, better known as Most Deaf, says he's prepared to leave South Africa immediately with his family. He was arrested for carrying an unrecognized world passport in Cape Town last week. Government's bid to have the moratorium on rhinohorn trading reinstated has been dismissed with costs. And the Durban High Court has refused the Hawks' leave to appeal against the order setting aside the suspension of the crime-fighting bodies KwaZulu-Natal head, Johan Boysen. Details at 2 o'clock. And after the news at 2 o'clock, uh, afternoon talk, getting to grips with food shortages, and there's a business mentorship at 2.30. Then in the spotlight there has Andrew Heeman, who's the CEO of the Luries. Otherwise, with Shadow Twala, see the world from a woman's point of view. 
Well, joining me now on the phone is Joy Watson, who's a feminist author, activist, and researcher. Uh, we hear about gender-based violence in Bredasdorp because they're going to have a conversation um, in, in, in a few days, I think, um, on the 29th of January. Uh, she'll be in conversation on, about gender-based violence. She talks to us now. Joy Watson, welcome, and thank you for your time. Thank you so much for having me, Shadow. Joy, um, horror stories, hey, are emerging out of Bridar's talk. Tell us about them. Okay, so, um, you know, this, this conversation is centered around um, a series of talks that Viv Lelu and I, she's a fellow feminist activist, have been having. And, you know, we've been engaging with the question on to what extent is all the focus on Pradarsdorp and, you know, the recent um, violence that we've seen there an anomaly of sorts, or is it endemic to our society and something that is happening at a far broader level but for some reason has elicited far more media attention? And um, you would know that, you know, the attention on Pradarsdorp happened in the wake of the death of an Boyson in mm-hmm. 2013. Mm-hmm. And I think that in some ways that followed on from... Um, the death of Joyce Singh in, in New Delhi in India, mm-hmm. where there was global outrage and activism. Um, and I think that in some ways, you know, South Africa then sat up and, and for whatever reason, responded to Anin's rape and death in the way that it hadn't quite done um, in, in many other instances. But then following on from that, we had in February 2014 the death of five-year-old Katie Williams who was found dead in a bush after having been beaten with a blunt object. Mm -hmm. And a few months thereafter in June, we had um, 14-year-old Elder Jaster who was found dead uh, bundled under a blanket and uh, her 29-year-old boyfriend was um, a suspect in, 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 in her death. And then, you know, again, a couple of months after we had um, the case of Kualewa Vuma, who was stabbed and killed by her boyfriend. Um, so that's, you know, pretty frightening uh, stuff. And, and it does beg the question, um, what is going on? But more importantly, to what extent has this global and national attention galvanized any real change for women and children in South Africa? This is very interesting and very scary, by the way, because it's happening more and more, and you could you could have counted a hundred other incidences that are happening around the country. But I just wonder how we are responding to it. You said an invoice and got most attention from a lot of people, but um, these other cases have not received as much uh, kind of a response from or loud response as expected. Is is it? Are we getting numb to these issues and 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 the, the fact that this violence is happening in our communities? Hello, Joy. Oh, I think we must redial Joy because I think we just lost her. Uh, she's a feminist author, activist, and researcher, and her and. Uh, Vivian Mentolalu are going to be in conversation uh, on, on gender-based violence in Bredasdorp specifically. But uh, she's back with me now. Did you hear any of what I said, Joy? Or did Unfortunately you just not. The line completely <laughs> cut me off. <laughs> now, I was saying our response to Anen Boyce and, and the other you know, victims that you mentioned 
was probably and then got the loudest. I, I take it. Are we are we are we becoming numb to the idea of 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 violence, especially against our, our little people? I think I think so. I think that it's become so normalized in some ways. Um, and unfortunately, you know, there does seem to be the factor that the, the more brutal the manifestation of violence, the more likely we are to to take note. So in the case of Anine, for example, um, she had her intestines taken out and, mm-hmm. and, and there's a fair amount of um, horror um, and sensationalist horror at that, that mm-hmm. uh, you know, that, that, that make people want to sit up and take notes. But importantly, um, it is the everyday acts of violence that are not necessarily that brutal, that create the sorts of social conditions where that kind of brutality can take place. So, for example, um, you know, the interactions that we have on, in our, on our streets or in our homes where there are abusive verbal interactions between, or power dynamics between men and women, those are important too because they create the gendered social order within which the more brutal manifestations of violence can begin to take place. Mm. And, and, and I wonder if, if there's a, a, a thread that runs through it, um, specifically in rural areas where service delivery is, and, and other urban settings is not as, as it should be. And I suppose then it manifests into all this anger. Yes, of course. I mean, the the significant challenge with rural areas is that, um, in terms of the access to service delivery, um, we don't, you know, often see uh, easy access to service delivery, and in some cases, service delivery is non-existent. So we look at, for example, the the Tutuvela Care Centres, the one-stop um, centres for um, support to rape victims. We have 52 of them nationally, but they, you know, there's a dire need in in rural areas for these centers. So you see within the rural community limited access to medical, criminal justice and um, psychosocial support services. Um, And then also you have the dynamic of that these communities are very close-knit and that means that the victim is often less likely to want to report and seek assistance because while there's low uh, population density, there's high acquaintance density. So you're likely to know those people who are offering services. So there there, there are additional complications both in terms of access to services but also then in terms of stigmatization and how does one access services in a way that is safe um, and and makes you feel secure. It, it is. It is a tight web to unravel, you know, as, as, as you talk about it. And what are you hoping this conversation will do, Joy? Do you know, I, I when we we did some work in partnership with the Heinrich Ball Foundation, and and Viv and I went into the community of Pradasdorp, and and this was in the wake of Nim's death. It was before all the other the other incidents, and. What really stood out for me is that in talking with people in the community, um, they talked about the response to the, the social and the government's response to, to an death. And one of the things that they said was that they were very appreciative, for example, for the fact that government had invested $10 million in construction mm-hmm. as a response. But that is completely delinked to the issue of sexual violence. And one of the things that they had asked for, they, they had said, you know, we would like for an intervention, for example, where somebody comes and does awareness raising with girls in schools because one of the issues that they had raised was um, uh, increasingly so in Bridgesdorp that young girls are entering into relationships with um, older men 
um, often, uh, you know, men were in gangs and in very abusive relationships. So while you might not see uh, reported statistics on high levels of rape, for example, um, they are very abusive relationships which are endemic to the society. And this this intervention had not happened. They were also asking for um, assistance in bringing women together to talk about the issue of gender-based violence. Mm. And, you know, in, in contemplating, you know, after the death of, of um, the other deaths, and where we had, you know, um, two women being killed by their partners and older partners at that, um, if, if there had been such public awareness, you know, we can only but speculate, would they have been another statistic? And so I think that there's a... There's a need to seriously, I, I would argue that we're in a crisis insofar as our level of sexual violence and domestic violence, um, they, a lot, uh, you know, has not changed. And we need to seriously sit back and take stock and look at how we begin to have conversations about the fact that the interventions are not working and mm-hmm. how do we begin to address that and regenerate activism that becomes pleasure points for really beginning to transform the system because it's not responding um, to women. I hear you, Joy, and I think there are important conversations for us to have, and I think we've continued uh, usually during the 16 days of activism, they heightened and we have these discussions, but we, we they almost seem to only be academic mainly and, and never get back to the communities that we're talking about and communities that you talk to, uh, to, to, to share the information and maybe make, make a difference there. Yes, you know, um, you, you're very right. One of the things that we had done um, in, in doing this work was to have a conversation with a group of feminist activists to say, where were we um, when, when all of this happened and why is it that you know, we're not more strategic in, in, in taking up some of these issues. And it was really an eye-opener for me because the response was, we are so thinly spread. Mm-hmm. You know, the, uh, the, the, res- the resources and the support for this kind of work is, is, is increasingly dismal. There's not a high priority attached to it. And people are thinly sp- they're running around between different community interventions and, um, and almost, you know, uh, there's a there's a sense that, in some ways, if one checks the the policy submissions and so on that have been made around the issue of sexual violence over the course of the last uh, ten years or so, they're pretty much the same mm. things that um, you know feminist uh, and um, women's organisations have been saying the same things. And why is it? And what do we have to do differently? to get the kind of community support to ensure that we're not saying the same things with very little progress. Um, and why is it that it's not a priority? How does one then translate that into being a priority that is budgeted for by the state? Mm. Um, because, you know, money, money is where it matters, and we don't see uh, the, the kind of resources put into this that, needs to be there. In fact, it's really difficult to detect that if you look at um, government expenditure and you, you begin to analyze um, uh, government department budgets, you can't see easily where money for sexual violence and domestic violence, um, it, it becomes quite a, an, ex, an exercise in the impossible in trying to pull that information, extract it and put it together. Um, Joy, please, sorry, but please do stay on the line for me. We're going to take a break and continue on that. Please hold that thought. Eh? Sure. Thank you.
Coco Moya, smile. Kwali strata clever. Go out and have fun. Put your favorite song on repeat because wonku muntu ne right of jiver. Go to the beach for the very first time. This is the time yet you get together. Walk to a stranger and say, Wanna beach? Dance like a chole bonus. Spend time with them daily. Eat, drink, and make memories that last forever. Vuga, Geza, Bangene, Spale. Double one with our extra hot lineup of brand new shows. Drama, comedy, movies, entertainment. This is going to be the best summer ever. The hashtag Samayadi Sama. SAPC1. Nzanti for sure. My name is Nomvula Mukonyani, Minister for Water and Sanitation in South Africa. Realities of climate change are upon us, over and above us being a water-scarce country. Parts of South Africa are affected by drought, while some pockets are facing water scarcity due to the heat wave. I urge you in government, in the business sector, in the irrigation sector, in industry, as communities, and you as an individual, to adapt and use water wisely. Let us join hands to save water. Together, we move South Africa forward. Great stories told by great personalities. SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. So my guest is Joe Watson, who is an activist and researcher, feminist author. And we're talking about a conversation that they will have uh, on the on the 29th, uh, which is gender-based violence in Bredasdorp, horror or business as usual. And Joy, you know, you were starting to say that you can't see a budget, This, you know, when you, when you look for what the state does. But I think that's what has crippled our country because we're looking to government to do everything. And, and, and I think we should look for a strategy, a strategy that reappeals to all of us as, as, as human beings to, to respond in, a, in, in the way we, we ought to. I think you're very correct, Shadow. I think that, you know, with the transition to democratic governance in 1994, um, a, a big part of what happened in terms of taking up the feminist agenda was that we had the construction of the gender machinery. So, you know, very progressively so. We had uh, the formation of the Commission for Gender Equality, uh, a committee in Parliament dealing with uh, women's issues, and uh, eventually a, a department um, dealing with uh, uh, the Department of Women dealing with men to deal with women's issues. Mm. And I think to some extent that there's been, you know, the city lines and so there's been, you know, we've forced this machinery and and so they're going to take up these issues. But I think that they definitely, the time has come for us to take stock of the extent to which that has worked or not and to look at how from within communities and society at large that we... um, begin to create more reliance on ourselves to begin to bring about some of these changes. But having said that, you know, the state has tremendous resources at its disposal and mm. those do need to be those get channeled into what are the priorities. And we do need to see issues of gender based violence being more of a priority because you know if we, if we look at for example the model of acute uh, care provided to rape uh, victims. It's focused largely on um, biomedical interventions and, you know, taking your, your case through the criminal justice process. But, for example, you know, psychosocial support is very lacking. To a large extent, NGOs 
uh, that don't really have the resources are, are providing that support. Mm-hmm. And that support is critical. If you're not getting psychosocial support as a directory, and you're unlikely to pursue your your case through 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 the the, the, the system. Um, and also, you know, it has repercussions for the rest of your life in terms of health and well-being and how you um, reintegrate back into society, etc. And yeah, we just don't see that being prioritized, and it's so critical. Um, and so we need to challenge those priorities and how money is allocated. It's very important. Mm-hmm. Because I'm thinking, you know, listening to you, that, that that's even the surface, because this also has threatened the, the, the family unit. You know, we've seen the breakdown of the family unit as we know it. Um, and, and, and that's really where the problem is, because then... Otherwise, we'd know where our children are. We would take responsibility for our families before they even get out there and, and, and be killed. You know, so, so there is something wrong with the state of our families at the moment. I think so. And I think, you know, with, within families, um, the notion of, of normative gender roles and very limiting constructions of masculinity and femininity. Mm-hmm. And in South Africa, I mean, I, I, for some reason, I feel particularly so. Um, you know, I, I remember a time when, um, I don't know if you recall that FHM, the journalist who wrote the story about the, um, making, or, or it was a Facebook piece about making some sort of joke about the, um, a rape drug. And I remember writing an, um, a piece, uh, on that. And, um, that's elicited, it was, it was published, um, um, by a newspaper and online, and it elicited, uh, public comments. Yeah. But mainly from people who defended what they had done. Yeah. Um, but in having to defend them, um, you know, it verged on being, it's obviously it's, it's edited, those edit, responses were edited. I, I'd be quite frightened to see what they would have looked at without mm. being edited. Mm. But I felt them as an, in, in some ways to be, mm. you know, very traumatic. Mm. So, and very deeply personalized, like, you know, um, I need to get a life. I made them lose their job, you mm. said, instead of mm. what is it about our society where we protect men who make jokes, mm. normalizing the use of a drug where you can rape somebody, mm. um, and that that's funny, um, and that that is normalized into our conversation and that we defend that, um, and that more than that, that we are verge on being violent and aggressive in our response to those who dare mm. question that. Mm. What does that say about, you know, the prevailing gender norms and the social order? Joy, you know, we've run out of time, and thank you so much for bringing this up. We will invite you to come and tell us what the outcomes were of this conversation and how much further we we need to have these discussions and, and, and keep them in the limelight until we find some solutions. Thank you so much, um, Shadow, for that offer, and I really do appreciate that you keep these issues in the spotlight. Yes. Very important. Thank you. And where's the, anyone can come to the conversation? Yes, yes. Um, so it's at UCT on the 29th next Friday at 1 o'clock. Okay. And where do they find more information? On the website? It's on the UCT um, Summer School um, Program, and you can go online to, to check that out. Fantastic. Thank you, Joy, and good luck. Eh? Take care, Shadow. You too. Goodbye. Bye-bye. That's Joy Watson um, and the conversation.
on gender-based violence is on the 29th of January at 1 o'clock at UCT if you are um, in, in Cape Town and tickets are on sale at the door. It is now time for our